0: Song says, "This, this is Christ, the King, whom shepherds laud, and angels sing." And we, you know, there are a lot of folk who don't like this season, um, but I don't know. I, I have a hard time sitting back and letting the world praise Jesus, and I don't. Um, and that's what this season is really about. It's about remembering, as we should every every week, but remembering this true sacrifice that came when Christ was born in that manger. You have to remember that he was lauded in heaven. Angels bowed and worshiped him. Thousands times 10,000 cried, holy, holy, holy. When God said someone must go to redeem man, every angel wanted to volunteer, but there was only one who could leave heaven and pay the price For the rebellion on earth. That was the son of God. That is the story that is now called the Christmas story. God made manifest on earth, taking on human flesh. It's a powerful story. And yes, he was the king then. But as we're going to talk about today, the king also will return. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, as Donnie read so well, says this, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Our message this Sabbath is entitled, The return of the king. The return of the king. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. And I ask now, Lord, that once again you just make me a nail on the wall. But Lord, upon that nail I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let me not be seen or heard again this Sabbath, Lord. We are asking from a word from the throne room of God that we might understand stand what is happening on earth now and be able to fully com- or better comprehend the promise of your soon coming. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Yes. As Seventh-day Adventists, it is baked right into our name. and It's a unique um, thing. There are other probably denominations that say Adventist, but probably not very many. The word Advent actually means to appear or a coming. So this season, the word I prefer to use over Christmas is the Advent season. This is the season we celebrate the first time Jesus appeared on earth. Amen? And so we are seven day Adventists because we, besides keeping the seventh day holy, as instructed in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 and reiterated throughout the Scripture, uh, we also are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it is important that we remember this truth because without it, if you forget that Jesus is returning and you're simply a Christian to occupy this world, this world can become way too important. If you forget that there is a rescue mission underway, that we are in essence like hostages held on a hostile planet, if you forget that, then you can think that what, uh, how many people follow you on TikTok is more important than what's happening in the prophetic scheme. It is remembering that Jesus is soon to return that allows us to prioritize spirituality in this world. If you forget that truth, then all of a sudden, who wins the Super Bowl becomes more important than anything else. Or all of the TV shows become super important. The politics of the next election becomes important. You get caught up in wars. You get caught up in the things of the earth. If you forget this truth, really nothing else will matter. So the Pew um, Forum on Religion and Public Life did an interesting uh, uh, study. This is from back in 2006. They interviewed over 2,000 people in America, American Christians, and this is what they found. They found that, in fact, um, um, how many believe in the second coming? 79% believe that Jesus is coming back. 17% no, and 4% they weren't sure. Then they said, do you believe that Jesus will return to earth in your lifetime? And only twenty um, percent said yes. So most Christians in America believe Jesus is not going to come back in their lifetime. They've kicked it out far out into the future, and some of them aren't so sure. And then, if you look at how interesting it gets, it says here: uh, "Is the time of the second coming revealed in biblical prophecies?" Thirty-three percent say yes. say no, and that's an interesting question. Uh, Maybe we'll touch on it a little later. Um, And it says, before the the second coming, the world situation will, most, or 34% say it'll worsen. 4% um, say it will improve. I don't know how to get that one. 37% say they don't know. Then can people and nations affect when Christ returns? And only 23% say yes. Interesting, right? Can we affect it? Maybe we'll touch on that today as well. But 50% say no. All right, so we're going to jump back to Revelation 16, is where we left off last week. Um, And I'm going to read Revelation 16 one again. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon earth. Last week, we went through some of the uh, seven last plagues. We didn't touch the fifth plague or the seventh plague. So this is the diagram that outlines the eschatology, how we as Adventists see last day events. And there's a lot to this. Um, last week, I expounded on 1798. Most of you are aware of 1844. And we have been talking about the close of probation and that the seven last plagues happen after probation is closed, after everyone's fate eternally has been decided. Right? And this is Revelation chapter 22, where it says, he that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. That is the close of probation. The plagues we're talking about happen here. And simultaneously, there's really only one long time of trouble. We split it up. But the only thing that divides it is this close of probation. And if you look here, there's a great time of trouble and Jacob's time of trouble, which we'll touch on today as well. Then the seven last plagues, then the second advent of Christ, and then the millennium. Now, a lot of folk miss what the millennium actually is. I'll show this to you a couple other ways. I've shown you this one before. Right here it is, um, the end of probation, the time of trouble, the seven last plagues, Jacob's time of trouble. And I like how this book, this is from the book Preparation for the Final Crisis puts it, liberation happens. And we're going to talk about that. When you think of the second coming, think of it from the lens that it is liberation. It is freedom from a world that is ravaged by sin. This one also shows you a nice, a nice uh, setup, it's a simpler one, but it shows you that this is the present age, we can now see, this is our first message in the series, the signs of Christ's soon return, like wars, rumors of wars. We can see earthquakes in diverse places, I showed you how... Earthquakes are increasing. When, uh, 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 that's objective from the U.S. U- United States Geological Survey. Um, we can show you how the morality is on decline, as 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1-5 through 5 tells us, and on and on and on. All of the signs of the times are being fulfilled. And that then we will go into a time of test. And we talked about the passing of laws that would violate America's um, adherence and, 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 and uh, its principle of the separation of church and state, and more importantly, keeping uh, our government from becoming a religious entity. And if you're not watching world events, you're missing that much of the world, this has already happened. This is what's happening in India. It's any communist China, uh, uh, country like China. Uh, the official state religion is atheism. Um, around the world, this is already beginning to happen. This test, which will be A test of how you worship, we believe a test on when you worship or which day you worship uh, will be the test. And during that time, mankind will have to decide. And the Bible says that the gospel will be preached in all the world for a witness, and then shall the end come. And all as that happens, everyone will decide. And once everyone has decided, then all of a sudden, the plagues will be poured out. So let's go back through the plagues a little bit here. Revelation 16, 2, just a a recap. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped the image. The first one was on the flesh. We talked about that last week. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. What happens between the second and the third plague, I didn't mention this last week, is that this is when the death decree comes. This is the death decree that will be that, will be a part of that great test at the, at the end of it. And Revelation 13 tells us that there will be this death decree. Revelation 13, 15 says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And what is the image of the beast? The image of the beast. The beast is the first beast of Revelation chapter 13. The beast that was the persecuting power uh, for 1,260 years from 598 A.D. to 1798 A.D. It ended when Napoleon's general Berthier took the pope captive and that. Persecution. You can go back and read about the Spanish Inquisition and the hard hand, why so many left Europe to come to the United States in the first place. It was to escape religious tyranny. And so this will be revived in the last days. People say that's crazy. But if you just watch politics, listen carefully to what politicians are saying, and I've shown you this, this is not as outrageous as it once seemed, as there are many who would hope to turn America into a Christian nation. The problem is which type of Christian? And that is where the challenge will come. And so this death decree will be given. Revelation 16, 4 and 5 says, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became what? They became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous. And this is because a death decree was given. Their motives were to kill, even though it's after the, 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 the close of probation. And because their motive is to kill the people of God, the Bible says, And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Real heavy stuff. And this is what's going to happen. And if you watch the the plagues, what's interesting is, it's almost like creation going backwards, right? The last thing created was the flesh of man. And if you go backwards, it kind of matches all the way back to where you get to the, to, to darkness and, and ultimately the destruction of the earth, back to almost a form of chaos. But the next one, and I heard another out of the altar say, so, uh, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous, are thy judgments. The fourth angel pours out his vial upon the sun. We talked about this last week, and all the world worships the sun, and all the imagery of the sun, the worship of the God Ra, and all how it manifests, even calling Sunday, Sunday, and then making it a day of worship. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. So the very sun that men have worshipped since the dawn of time becomes their enemy. Men were scorched with great heat blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Because repentance gives God glory. Somebody ought to say amen. So when they repent not, it is they repent not to give him glory. Verse 10, and this is one we skipped, missed last week. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. The imagery here is quite impressive. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. There are two recurring themes as you go through these plagues. One of them is that they blaspheme. And I told you last week, you can go back to the beast, or you go back to the book of Daniel, or to the little horn power. What is, re- what is a recurring theme, and even into Revelation 17, is this idea of blasphemy. You see, Satan is mad that he is not God. And so he blasphemes God. He wants us to blaspheme God. And let me tell you something. Some of us think you blaspheme God by what you say. But let me tell you, you can blaspheme God by calling yourself a Christian and behaving like the opposite of one. Man. They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. This shows you that the the, the plagues are, are sequential, right? The, the Sores have to have come first if they have sores here, and that the sores last for a while, the sores don't kill everyone. So you're living in a world where men are miserable. They have sores, the waters turn into blood, the, 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 um, the, the sun is striking against them, and now the seed of the beast, who is the beast? We said that this, the seed of the beast is the Vatican, and just this week, the pope, uh, in the last couple of weeks, the Pope has made some decisions that, have, that even has good faithful Catholics questioning Catholicism. Because the Pope is asked to bless certain things that cannot be blessed. And so there are people saying, well, "What is going on? And I want to tell you that one day God is going to allow, and I wish I had time to really get into this, God is going to allow the darkness that is that power, that papal power, for it to be covered in darkness. And when you read the commentary on this, which is here, it gives you some, some in- interesting information. It says this, the entire clause reads literally, his kingdom became darkened, the Greek implying that it remained so for a period of time. This is literal darkness, which it's, Attendant cold, with it's attendant cold and misery, so it becomes so. After the heat, they get cold. After the sun scorches them, they get darkness and cold. The absence of light and heat will be all the more impressive and painful after the intense heat experienced under the fourth plague. And this is where it gets crazy. They gnawed their tongues for pain, or it can be translated, kept biting their tongues out of pain. The pain is so bad of the plagues that are falling that the wicked begin to chew their own tongues. I don't know if you ever bit your tongue, but there's a lot of nerves in your tongue. I don't know if you know that. It's Very well innervated, as we say in in medicine. And there's a lot of nerves. You bite your tongue, people jump. Sometimes you eat with somebody and they bite their tongue and they don't want you to load. They just jump back like that because they bit their tongue. Here they gnaw their tongues for pain. Blasphemed men confirm their perverse hatred of God, their attitude under the fourth plague persists unabated. Why is this relevant? Because the entire universe is watching what happens on earth. This is a fallen world. The scripture talks about uh, the witnesses that we have. And so the whole universe is looking at what happens. There's a great controversy between Christ and Satan. Satan has said that God's law cannot be kept, that God is not fair, that God is not right. And he says that there's no way this could happen. And so uh, he wants to win this battle. He has an intense hatred for God. One of the evidences uh, to the whole universe, and the unfallen angels, God is correct in his judgment is that even when the plagues are poured out and man like Pharaoh of Egypt, we talked about the the plagues of Egypt a little bit last week, just like Pharaoh, all the evidence that the God of heaven is who he says he is, they will not say, you know what? He must really be God. I'll repent and turn to him. Even then they blaspheme him. This is the evidence the whole universe needs to say, man, the world has gone so far. It won't come back. So the place that said it was light becomes dark. We talked about this last week, Revelation 16, 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. This is not the literal river Euphrates. You have people saying, oh, they're showing you pictures from the Middle East of the river drying up and saying, oh, the prophecy is being fulfilled. You could walk all you want on a dry river Euphrates, but it's not going to do anything. This is re- a, a speaking to the fact that the river Euphrates ran under the ancient city Babylon, and uh, and, it, and it was Cyrus and Darius who dried that river, marched under the wall, and conquered Babylon. It, this drying up is that after the sun scorches them, and after the seed of the beast becomes dark, the people no longer support the beast. It, his power dries up. And why? Because it makes way for the... Uh, pre- prepares the way for the east, for the king to come from the east. Cyrus was a type of Christ. And so cr- this is telling you that Jesus is going to come. That's the signal of, from the east. And he's coming. And when he comes, the world will be prepared. One by the fact that the, the beast and his strength would have been dried up. And we saw, and we said this last week, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. This is, as you look at the three pieces here, the dragon is the devil himself, the beast is the, is the papacy in the Vatican, and the false prophet is apostate Protestantism. These three things now come together to try and bring the world together. How do they do it? Through spiritualism, through miracles. Verse 14, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth. These are the political powers and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of god almighty the beast loses his support and after he begins to lose his support uh with with, the working of miracle and supernatural powers one of the ways that this happens is that satan himself is transformed into an angel of light personates christ it is one of the last great tests can you imagine and you, you, they have all these, Netflix always putting out these shows with these Messiah figures. They're preparing people's minds for this idea. I'll show you more about that in a second. Why? To gather them to the ba- together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. When Satan realizes it's coming to an end, when the, world go- when the seed of the beast goes dark, when the plagues have fallen, he now realizes I've got to garnish an army. I've got to fight because I've got to wipe out the remnant from off the earth. He's coming to get them. Satan wants two things out of this post-close um, of probation. One, if he can annihilate the people of God, there's no one for Jesus to return for. Number two, if you can get them to sin, there's no one for Jesus to come for. We have to be in a place where our character is such that when these great times of trouble come, we stand firm for God. Here it is. That's why you're going through the mess you're going through now. That's why life is challenging for you now. Every trial, Revelation 3.19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. The trials you're going through today is to prepare you for the great time of trouble in front of us. Satan also wants to be worshipped. That was his whole spiel. We talked about that last week. And as he's tries to get everybody to be worshiped, Revelation 16, 15 says, behold, I come as a thief, Jesus speaking now. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is a message to those who are waiting to be rescued, waiting for redemption, waiting for the second coming, being persecuted. The world is after them to destroy them. The world blames them for the plagues. And here they are, hiding in the cliffs of rocks, hiding uh, wherever they can. And here the world is after them. Jesus says, don't worry, I'm coming. Satan gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Remember we said it's the mount of the congregation. He wanted to, remember he wanted to climb to the top of the mount of God. Satan is now going to create his own mount. Mount in Bible prophecy represents a kingdom. He's going to gather the world into one kingdom. And Satan, acting as an angel of light, is going to bring the world together. And here Satan is going to say, listen, follow me, worship me. I will lead you through. In fact, if you study Luciferianism, this is what they teach now. This is why the Rolling Stones uh, um, um, and Guns N' Roses had the song, Sympathy for the Devil. That is Luciferian doctrine. Uh, this is why Marvel, I talked about this last week, make, when you watch shows like Thor, this is why the good guy is the one cast out of heaven. Or TV shows like Lucifer, he's already preparing men's minds for the idea that, listen, God is not going to take over the world, I am. That's the whole point of the show Lucifer. Right? God is on vacation or something. I don't know. I've never seen the show. God is on vacation or something, and Lucifer steps in to take his place. If you are not prepared, the devil is already trying to indoctrinate you against God. But here's what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter, um, then it's chapter, 3, verse 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And it says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into what? An angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of what? Of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Did you get that? Right now that spirit of deception is at work. There are folk who claim to be ministers of God who are actually the ministers of the enemy. I, I, I can't get into it from the pulpit, but there, there's a lot of talk that many of the mega churches in the country, behind the scenes, it is actually occult work being happening. That's how they get 50,000 people to show up. And that's why they never read the Bible, actually. That's why it's more about name it and claim it and a prosperity gospel, because it is actually demonic deception. And Paul says you shouldn't be shocked by this. Why? Because Satan is going to be transformed into an angel of light. Powerful. So if you're not ready for that, you're in trouble. You know what? He's already got you with Superman. Everybody thinks Superman is a big hero. How does Superman get his power? From the sun. Isn't that interesting? Last events, page 163. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception... Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come in different parts of the earth. Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the son of God given by John in the revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the ear. Christ has come. Christ has come. Why is this relevant? Because every religion believes someone is coming. The Jews are waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. The Muslims have their, um, I forget the name, but he, he's supposed to come back. In Hinduism, there's someone who's supposed to come back. Christians have a second coming. And the whole world, can you imagine when Satan shows up looking like Jesus? Can you imagine when he goes down the cancer ward of hospitals? After he puts sickness on people, he takes the sickness off, and the whole world begins to shout, wow, the Savior has come. If you don't know what you believe based on scripture, you will be deceived. Because you're going to want to believe. Can you imagine how melodious the voice is going to be? It says in Last Day Events, page 163, the people prostrate themselves in adoration before him. While he lifts his, up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them, as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth, his voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody and gentle, compassionate tones. He presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered, some of them. He heals the diseases of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hollow the day which he has blessed. Satan is striving to gain every advantage, disguised as an angel of light. He will take, walk the earth as a wonder worker. In beautiful language, he will present lofty sentiments. Good words will be spoken by him, and good deeds performed. Christ will be personified. Uh, Notice, he's not—he's not he's not, he's not uh, you know, uh, like an, an impostor. He's personified. He'll be able to look like that. That's what he did, you know, in, in the in the um. In the, in the um, wilderness of temptation, when Satan appeared to Jesus, he appeared as an angel of light. When he said, listen, are you really the son of God that turned the stones to bread? He came as an angel of light. Satan will turn the people from the law of God. That's, so there's two ways you know that he's a farce. The first one is he will contradict the Bible and turn people from God's law. Anyone who speaks to turn you away from the law of God is not on God's side. Secondly, and we'll talk about it in a second, when Jesus returns, will he be walking up and down Main Street? His feet will never touch the ground, as we're going to talk about. So, those are two quick ones that you can see. It says here, notwithstanding this, so well, that he, so well will he counterfeit righteousness that, if it were possible, he would deceive the very elect. Crowned heads, presidents, rulers in high places will bow to his false theories. If it were possible, he would fool the very elect. Probation closes, and Revelation 7 says that the winds of strife cannot be released until the servants of God are what? Sealed. You know what the world tells you to do? To open your mind. I go to stuff, medical stuff, and they say, you know, you should meditate and open up your mind to the universe. I'm not opening up my mind to your universe. My Bible says that my mind should be sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to just let everything up into my mind. If it were possible, if we were not sealed, we would be deceived. You cannot, and here's the, one of the key messages about the second coming. When we say be ready for the second coming, it's a great thing to say, but in fact, it's a little bit off because you actually need to be ready before probation closes. You need to be sealed at the time probation closes. If you miss that, you'll have time before the second coming, but it'll be too late to get ready. So here we jump to the seventh plague. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 17, and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying what? It is done. It's interesting. It's three times really that Jesus says something like this. Once he says it on the cross, it is finished. He says it here, and then he says it again after the millennium, it is finished. So people say, well, there's nothing else for Jesus to do after the cross. Then what did he finish here? Watch this. Verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, and such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so, earth, and so great. So the seventh vial is poured out, it is done, The earth, there's an earthquake like the world has never known. The very, and it's deep, I was reading an article this week, I read all kinds of crazy articles, and this one was on earthquakes. And it says that they just discovered that they have a new earthquake threat or a new understanding of earthquake threats. And that is that we always said that you have to live on a, on a plate, a tectonic plate to be in danger of an earthquake. They say what, this new phenomenon, what they found is that, in fact, they're seeing the earthquakes happen where there is no plate, where there is no line, no fissure. So, you know, we say California, you know, it's hot in Southern California, hot in the desert. As they say, if you live in California, you shake and bake because of all the earthquakes in the heat. But that's because there's all of those plates, all of, the, all of the faults is the right word. What they're saying is that we are going to see earthquakes where there aren't faults. Well, that's deep. And it speaks to this because just as the flood, when you read the story of the flood, Noah's flood carefully, it says that the water, the ground broke up and water came up. Peter tells us that just as during the flood, the water was there ready to destroy the earth. It was already in place. It's the same thing with fire. The fire is already there. And the earth, now covered with water, what's underneath the water? Well, if you go down, it's what? Fire. And you can see in Iceland right now, this um, volcano erupting. And everybody thinks it's so cool. Let me tell you something. That is almost God giving you a sneak preview of what's going to happen. Verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath and every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. The world is turned upside down, the Bible says, in, during the seventh plague. And here's where it gets really interesting. And, the, and again, it goes back. Like, it's almost like creation in reverse. The world, when you came to earth, was without, when God came to the earth, it was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. All, it's almost like you walk backwards. And here it is. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. Is somewhere between 60 and 80 pounds. Can you imagine a 60-pound weight falling out of the sky on you? It would kill you. And every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was what? Exceeding great. What did men do? They blasphemed. Here the world is being torn up right as the devil has mounted his His Armageddon, his mount of the congregation, right as he's about to go after and get God's people, right when that's about to happen, the world begins to unravel. Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary on Revelation 16, 17 says this, God permits the forces of evil to advance to the point of apparent success in their sinister design to eradicate the people of God. As the moment appointed in the death decree arrives and the wicked rush forward with shouts of triumph to annihilate the saints, the voice of God is heard declaring, it is done. This declaration terminates the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, delivers the saints, and ushers in the seventh plague. And so here, as they're about to get... God's people and wipe them out, it is done, and all of this uh, a, a, a catastrophe begins to hit the world, and it is prophesied in the Old Testament. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30, 5 through 7 says this, for thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. What did the voice say? It said, it is done. Verse 6, ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child, as if a man is in labor pains. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Verse 7, alas, for that, great, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. It's a rescue mission. One of the things of the last day events that's real important is to understand that there's going to be a great time of trouble, a little time of trouble we talked about, this great time of trouble, in it is Jacob's time of trouble. So what does that mean? SDA Bible commentary on this says this, as far as he could, Jacob had endeavored to right every wrong that he had committed. By his persistence and faith, Jacob was given the assurance of God's blessing before the night had passed. In looking forward to the experience of the children of Jacob, Jeremiah shows that at the time of the Babylonian invasion, so he's using, this is Jeremiah speaking to his people at his time, they would pass through an agony similar to that of their ancestor. But with the prophecy of such great trouble, the prophet coupled an assurance to every faithful soul that he shall be saved out of it. When Babylon acted up, you would be saved out of it. Now watch this. The same experience of intense soul searching will come to spiritual Israel after the close of probation, just before the Lord's second advent. Only those who have confessed every known sin will be able to come forth victors from that time of spiritual agony known as the time of Jacob's trouble. You know what happens during that time? We are all sitting thinking like Jacob did that night as he wrestled with the angel Is there a sin I haven't confessed? You know, one of the ways the devil gets you is to make you think that God's uh, uh, blood is inadequate. He, He tries to get you to think that, in fact, you have not been forgiven. That is one of his major tools, uh, major uh, uh, processes, major approaches. If you read uh, Roger Murnau's other book, I always talk about his trip into the supernatural, but his other book is Beware of Angels. And in that book, when the woman uh, who commits these crimes, I, can't, I won't tell you the whole story of the books, but uh, they, were, they were messing with supernatural forces and wound up committing murder and thinking they, the angels were going to get them off. It turned out the angels were demons. They wind up in prison and they come back to being Seventh-day Adventist. The pastor goes into the prison, they're baptized and come back. And Roger Minot, when he interviews them, asks them, do the demons ever come back to mess with you? And the woman says, only when we think that God has not forgiven us. If you're going to survive the time of trouble, you have got to have confidence in the blood of Jesus you have to know that I don't care how dark in sin you were I don't care how much time you spent in the motel, motel. I don't care what you smoked, what you, what you inhaled what you shot up, it doesn't matter if the blood of Jesus washes you, you are clean and it is armed with that truth that you can go into the last days with confidence because it's not you, it is the robe of Christ's righteousness that you go in with this is why it says this, because it is in that most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary that Jesus is working on our behalf. And when that it is done comes, when it, when probation closes, Daniel 12, 1 says this, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble. That's what we were just talking about, the great time of trouble and, and the... Jacob's time of trouble, such as never one since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that should be found written in the book. Jeremiah just told us, he's going to save you out of the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel now tells you, listen, there's going to be a horrible time of trouble, but he's going to save you out of that time of trouble. That's how we know that there had to be an investigative judgment, because to be saved out of that thing, your name must be written where? In the Lamb's book of life. You can't wait till he gets up and then hope he goes back and makes an addendum. Your name's got to be written there now. Then Daniel says this, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is, a, this is speaking to the resurrection that happens at the second coming. And there are two resurrections. There's even a special resurrection we're going to talk about for a quick second. This is what happens. He stands up. And when uh, Jesus returns, some are going to wake up out of the earth. And I love verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Solomon tells you, listen, seek wisdom. Go after her, he says. They that be wise. You know what wisdom is? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You know what foolishness is? Foolishness is, the Bible says that uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see that? Wisdom comes from knowing God. Foolishness comes from denying him. So, the second coming. Will it be a secret? Because so That's what most people believe, that there's going to be a secret rapture. In fact, Marvel Universe, they did this in one of the Avengers movies in the after credit scene. They had Nick Fury and then helicopters and stuff, the, they, everybody got raptured up, or disappeared. they didn't really get raptured, they just got disappeared by the, the villain, and everybody's cars started crashing. It was, it was a mockery of the idea of the secret rapture. That was Marvel messing with the minds of folk who believe in that. Deep, right? This idea that there's going to be a secret rapture and everybody's going to disappear. I've, I've told you this before, American Airlines, they had the, some of the workers go to the, to the leadership and say, listen, um, make sure you never put two Christian captains, um, two Christian pilots in the cockpit at the same time. <laughs> they might get raptured away in the middle of the flight, and then who's going to fly the plane? My question, I, I say this every time, and why won't you get raptured with them? <laughs> All you got to do is do what they did. Will it be a secret? Well, where does this come from? What is a Jesuit doctrine? I don't have time to get into that. This is literally a Jesuit doctrine to turn people away from the truth of the second coming. It was manifested in American culture by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins in their books, The Left Behind series, which became super popular, even turned into movies. Tim LaHaye wrote a book that sold millions of copies called The Late Great Planet Earth, and many Christians began to believe this um, a futurist version of, of, of prophecy and end time events which comes actually goes all the way back to Middle Ages Jesuits Why because they didn't want the finger to be pointed at the papacy So they had to take all the prophecies and punt like in football and kick it all the way to the other side So that it's way out in the future so it couldn't apply to the Pope But it's funny the, the ball keeps following them doesn't it? if you just look at the politics of the Vatican right now it tells you who's who so and this is the, the movies um, that they made. These were, some of these movies actually probably seen by a lot of people. Tyndale House Publishing sold more than 80 million copies worldwide. It's A staggering number. And hence, most people just assume there is going to be a secret rapture. And that here's the real dangerous part about this doctrine. If there's a secret rapture, all of a sudden we're sitting here and half of you guys just take off. Poof. Right? And then, if you don't go... You, there's a, there's a, you you go into the tribulation seven years from the from the prophecy of Daniel the 49 years, and then you get this last week, the seven years, it goes kicked out, and and you get a second chance. It's like if you miss the bus and you just wait long enough, another bus comes back around. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you have got to make your calling and your election sure the first time. Here we go. Matthew 24 and verse 21 says this. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. Which, remember we just talked about tribulation? We just talked about the time of trouble? You can see it here again in Matthew twenty-four, twenty-one. There's going to be a great time of trouble again. And except those days be what? Shortened, there should be no flesh saved. For the elect's sake shall those days be shortened. Remember what it said? If it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Guess what? In order to protect the elect, the days are shortened. That time after the close of probation. And it says that here he begins to warn you. Jesus begins to warn you about this false Christ um, paradigm. Verse twenty-three says, "Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, do what? Believe it not." So when they start telling you, "Listen, Jesus showed up in in Times Square, or Jesus up in the Bronx celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of hip hop," don't go. Verse 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And then Jesus gives this really pointed warning in verse 25. It's it's a brilliant warning. He says, behold, I have told you before. In other words, you are without excuse if you're deceived. Look at verse 26. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth, behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. If they say Jesus is going to appear secretly, don't believe it. And then he does this. He makes it clear that it's not going to be a secret when he comes. He says in Matthew 24, 27, Jesus says, For as the lightning coming out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Will it be a secret? You ever see lightning strike secretly? I've never seen it strike like secretly. I don't like lightning makes me a little nervous Right and the good thing is you get to see it hear it. It's one of the most unsecret things in nature. Then look at what Jesus says, Matthew 24 and verse 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, what tribulation? That's the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. This is like the seventh plague, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. As the world is coming apart, as we read in the seventh plague, then all of a sudden the of the earth will mourn. And look at what Jesus says. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. It will be a rescue mission. The world is going to be after you. It's a great time of trouble. But the angels themselves are going to be like, you know, a story reminds me of Elijah. Elijah was all messed up. You remember? He was like, Lord, take my life. And when it was all over, chariots of fire came and got him. I want to remind you that chariots of fire are coming for you. I don't care how dark the world is, how difficult your life is. Chariots of fire are on their way. Look at it. So how did Jesus go up? Acts 1 tells you. And when he had spoken these things, Acts one nine. while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are the two angels. What did the angels say to them? Verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He did not go up secretly. He's not coming back secretly. Revelation 1:7 says this, Behold, he comes with clouds, just like he said in the book of Acts, and every eye shall see him. Every eye's gonna see him. So how can it be a secret? In fact, when you know Satan is gonna try and fool people with this, he's gonna, you know, they're gonna have a TikTok video with Jesus. See, everybody saw him. <laughs> and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. So here the Bible gives you something else. There's a special resurrection. Those that pierced him are also going to see the second coming. Jesus told them that in the book of Matthew, that you will see me coming. He he warns them that they're going to see him. So the last little bit is this. What happens to the living and the dead at the second coming? This is something it's real important to understand. First lesson in Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning them which are asleep. So don't be ignorant about what happens to the dead. Here it is. And why does Paul not want you ignorant? So that you sorrow not. It changes everything when you understand these truths, even as others which have no hope. Verse 14: For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Did you get that? When my mother died, and I had to go to the graveside. And once on 1 12th in Miami, down in Kendall, in Miami, Florida, I'll never forget standing there at her graveside as they, as, as they lowered my mother's coffin into the ground, I, weeping uncontrollably. And as I, I, what came to mind as I was there is uh, the, the Spirit said to me, uh, Pray a prayer. And I prayed. I said, Lord, mark this spot. When you come again in your glory, uh, raise my mother up from this place. Because that's what you promised in your word. I have a hope that a lot of folk that left their loved ones in that cemetery don't have. I have the hope that I will see my mother again. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So who goes first? The ones that are in the grave asleep. Now, if they're in the grave asleep and they're going to be resurrected, are they in heaven? Can't be in heaven and in the grave at the same time. People try and do all kinds of mental gymnastics. It doesn't work. Verse 16 says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Notice the trump sounds, the voice of God. It is the voice of Christ that cries out, that actually shakes, just like Lazarus. Remember when he went to Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He's going to say that over the whole planet. And all the dead in Christ are going to rise up. It is going to be a glorious day. It's going to be like watching popcorn pop. All those great pop, 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 pop. And you're going to see the folk just start to rise. And we who are alive and remain, the Bible says, are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Have you noticed? So you couldn't have been with the Lord before us. You had already been forever with the Lord. He didn't bring back the spirit or the breath of the people. No, he raises them from the dead because he can. He has power over death. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up. That's how you know if Jesus is wearing air Jordans walking down the street, that's not Jesus. 2 Corinthians 15, 51 says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So you may be alive when Jesus comes. So you may not die and and be resurrected, but even if you're alive, you're still going to get a glorified body. In a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be what? Oh. Those horrible issues you have in your body, one day it will be changed. You see, you know, when you form a bad habit or you get an addiction, there are, there are pathways in the brain that are permanently formed that you can only, the only way to overcome them is to form better habits uh, of deeper grooves in the brain. But when you're glorified, those old pathways will be removed. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians fifteen fifty three, he says this, but this corruptible must put on what? Incorruption. And this mortal must put on what? Immortality. That's how you know the living, when you, people die, they're not alive in heaven or hell. If they were, they would already have immortality. In fact, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. If dead people are in hell burning all the time, they actually never pay the price of, of sin. The price of sin isn't, uh, uh, you know, forever torment. The price of sin is death. That's why the righteous will put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? One day, death is going to be on the losing end of the battle. One day, death will die. So at the second coming, the righteous, living in the righteous dead, are caught up. Feet never touch the ground. Their bodies are changed and glorified. Keep that in mind because something that different happens to the wicked at the second coming. They're slain by the brightness and the sword of his mouth. And those in the grave stay asleep except for those in the special resurrection. So let me show you that. Matthew 24:30 says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, and this is speaking more directly to a wicked power, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and what? And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The righteous will see him and rejoice. The righteous will see him, and gravity will cease to have power over them. They will begin to rise. But the wicked will hear him and shudder. They will run to the rocks and say, fall on us. Keep us from him who is coming. The wicked will see his brightness and drop dead. Jeremiah says it like this, Jeremiah 25, 31. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, Evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be praised from up, shall, shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented. Why will they not be lamented? Why would no one cry over them? There's no one to cry. The righteous are in heaven and the wicked are laying dead. They will not be gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Revelation 19.21 says it like this, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The righteous are going to be trans, the righteous dead are going to be resurrected. They're going to be um, translated. The righteous living, same thing. The wicked dead, except in a special resurrection, will stay dead. And the wicked will be slain. That's it. This is why during the millennium, what actually happens is the Bible says that Satan is bound. Because for 1,000 years, he will have no one to tempt. He will have just 1,000 years to look at the consequences of what he does. Now, other people say, during this 1,000 years, Jesus is going to have a temple in Jerusalem, literally. And he's going to sit there and he's going to rule the world and make everyone do what he wants. That's not what the Bible teaches. We are going to go with him. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't say, I'm going to come down here and set up shop. Not till after the thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 1 says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him how long? A thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him, and he should that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. Why can he deceive the nations no more? Nobody to deceive. The righteous are in heaven and the wicked are slain. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given unto them. Did you know you're going to get judgment? You're going to be able to judge? Did you know Paul says that we will even judge the angels? The demons that mess with you, you will have the ability to judge them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Revelation 20 makes it clear. This is what happens to the dead. They're not burning in hell right now. Here's it is. Revelation 25, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were what? Finished. This is the first resurrection. When Jesus comes, that's the first resurrection. And this is what the Bible says about this first resurrection. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I want to be in that resurrection, church. Revelation nineteen eleven says this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. This is the description of Jesus returning. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That's powerful. Verse 13, and he was clothed, and, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The word of God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16 says this. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Church, the king is returning. And I don't know, what you're, what, you know what, what, you, what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. But I can tell you this Sabbath that you have got to be getting prepared for this king's return. There's a lot of distractions. But I want to be Ready when the king returns. He is soon to return. Jesus is about to come back, and I tell you, there's a lot of distracting things, a lot of uh, ways that the world wants, things the world wants us to focus on. I I, I see more and more patients that have, uh, suffer from anxiety. They're worried about the war in the Middle East. Uh, uh, They're worried about war in Europe. They're worried about economic collapse. They're worried about all these different things. But I want to tell you that if Christ is your Savior, you have nothing to worry about. The Bible teaches that during this great time of trouble, Jesus will come and he will rescue us. Can you imagine? When you look up and you're able to say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. While the appeal song is sung, This holiday season, you want to say, listen, I want to be ready for the return of the King. I just want you to stand, bow your head, close your eyes, and just talk to God. Watch your commitment to Him. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org